right. So we're going to start something new today on the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. How many guys know what the Sermon on the Mount is? Have ever heard the Sermon on the Mount? It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it's one of the most well-known sermons that Jesus gave. And there's some really um, deep truths to what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God in these passages. So we're going to look at that for the remainder of this summer through the end of August. Um, today's text is from Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 11, the opening passage of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for, they, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father God, we ask now that you would illumine our minds, prepare our hearts to receive your word, and help us to see the blessed life that you want for us and define for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I just, you know, one of the things about Sunday that I, I want us to get in the habit is to enjoy the rhythm of Sunday. Now, we've been doing this a little bit of while, and you'll see that there's a good rhythm of praying, singing, listening, uh, responsive reading, and things like that. And I hope that rhythm is something like working out in a gym. It's a way for us to gather together in the presence of God, and it's really going to help shape you uh, in ways that you don't notice in the beginning, but if you continue to participate in this rhythm of worshiping God on Sunday through liturgy, it's going to shape in ways that are meaningful and formative, and I hope um, you will notice some of these things, especially as you get older, this will become a part of who you are. Um, Ecclesi so I want to just kind of help you appreciate the changes and really kind of anticipate and participate on a weekly basis. All right, for today's message, Ecclesiastes 1.9 reminds us that what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun, nothing new under the sun. And in a big meta picture way, this is true. God's good creation, and hear the word, God's good creation, marred and broken by human sin, is being redeemed by God through Jesus Christ to one day ultimately culminate in glory. This is the one grand story. This is the story that is behind all of history. And this is what Ecclesiastes mean when they say that there is nothing new under the sun. God's goodness and love 
a beautiful but broken world and God's work of redemption through Christ and ultimately glory is constant. It was and is and will be. However, the context of when and how that one grand story, that one thing that which is nothing new under the sun, however, that one story unfolds, changes. The context of that story changes. And the world we inhabit today, in 2022, in some ways is very unique. For example, anyone kind of know what the world population is estimated today? Say it out loud if you just have a guess. Yeah, close to 8 billion. 7.8 billion is the estimate, right? Do you know what the estimated population was at the turn of the century, the year, 2000, uh, year 1900, a little more than 122 years ago? $1.6 billion. So in less than 100, uh, in a little over 100 years, world population almost quadrupled. It actually did quadruple. So we live in a world where there's more people than ever on planet Earth. And not only are there more people on Earth, we have more ways to connect to each other than ever. We are a more global world than we've ever been. We are a more connected world than we've ever been. I thought I grew up in the modern age where technology was advancing. And I thought it was amazing that you could pick up a phone connected to a line in your wall somewhere and you could call someone in Korea or someone in Europe and you could talk to them live over the phone. And now, what do we have? You can be shopping for milk in your grocery store and talking to a friend in halfway around the world, in Africa, in Europe, in Asia, not just through voice, but with video, anywhere. That's the world we live in. We are more connected than ever. There are more books published each year than previous years. There are more podcasts, more news sites. You can almost find anything you want. One night I was thinking about a TV miniseries I saw in the 80s and I googled it and I could watch it on YouTube in its entirety. That's the kind of world we live in. In fact, this morning, and I did this a while back, and I did it again this morning just to see where things were, I, Googled, I went on Instagram and searched for the hashtag blessed. I did this about five months ago, and at five months ago, the hashtag blessed brought up about 143 million hits, posts, with the hashtag blessed. Today, it was 143 million posts about blessed, and that's just Instagram. If you add Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, and I know these are all old school social media, I don't even know what the new fans, new favorite of the young people are. But if you put all those together, you can imagine how much bigger blessed is. We live in a very large, large world. 
And when you start scrolling through this hashtag blessed, you come across many, many different expressions of blessing. People feel blessed for numerous reasons and for various reasons. People are blessed for their supportive family. They're blessed for their yoga instructor. They're blessed for the weather. They're blessed because feeling good on a Monday. They're blessed because their team won. They're blessed because they had a good hair day. Now, I'm just as guilty as anyone else for overusing the word blessed. I feel so blessed today to be with you all. I really do. I feel blessed to be healthy. We all love the word blessed. In a positive way, it's a word that helps us cultivate a grateful heart. It helps us see the myriads of way in which God is with us and for us, and how God's love shines through small ways each and every day. The smallest routines can feel like a blessing when we are trying to cultivate a heart of gratitude. What are you, what do you feel blessed by today? Right? But at the same time, if I'm not careful, my idea of what a blessing is starts being influenced and shaped by the things around me. As easily as I can feel blessed, I can also as easily feel less blessed. I can even feel unblessed or I'm missing out on the blessings of other people that other people have. I feel less fortunate when things don't go the way that I want them to go. When I perhaps start looking at others around me that have more, perhaps a more blessed life, my sense of blessing can diminish. I can easily feel resentful. I should have as much as that person. I should be as blessed as that person. And rather than gratitude, I could easily slide into resentment and envy. I can easily let the world around me start dictating what it means to be blessed. Dallas Willard, who's now with the Lord, noted that he once saw, he's an author and a, a spiritual formation expert, he said he noted that he once saw a car ad in the Los Angeles Time long ago that read, quote, pursue happiness in a car that can catch it. Pursue happiness in a car that can catch it. Can your car catch happiness? If you're driving perhaps an older clunker, I drove my first car ever uh, when I started driving in 1986 was an Oldsmobile Broham. I don't know how you pronounce it, but I think it's Broham. My parents' old car that had 200,000 miles when I inherited. And a friend of mine at school, I remember this, one day drove in a brand new Porsche to the school parking lot. Can your car catch happiness? By the way, I love my car. 
That is why more than ever, I love the Sermon on the Mount because through it, Jesus gives us a solid foundation to define and understand what it truly means to be blessed. There's so many ways that we think we're blessed, but those ways, if they're not rooted in God and in the ways of God, can easily, just as easily, lead us to feel unblessed. And that's why it's so important that on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a solid foundation to define and understand what it means to be truly blessed. Today's passage, the Beatitude, is a steady rock. It's a solid rock in the midst of shifting sands. If you don't stand on solid rock in the midst of shifting sands, the sand beneath your feet that felt solid one moment will sink right beneath you. If you don't build your sense of happiness on that which stands firm through shifting times, then your sense of happiness will ebb and flow like the tide. One moment you will be up, and the next, before you know it, you will feel down. In a letter to a close friend, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, feel one of the most influential and profound theologian of the 20th century who was killed in a Nazi concentration camp. In a letter to a close friend, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this, and this is slightly condensed, quote, I was lacking in humility, terribly ambitious, alone. Then something happened. For the first time, I discovered the Bible. Then the Bible freed me from that in particular, the Sermon on the Mount. The Bible freed me from that, that referring to the lack of humility, the ambition, being alone. And he says, in particular, the Sermon on the Mount. Since then, everything has changed. I have felt this plainly, and so have people around me. And once again, in a letter to his brother Carl in 1935, he writes, the restoration of the church, the restoration of the church, the restoration of THMCEM will surely come only from a new type of monasticism, which has nothing in common with the old, but a complete lack of compromise in a life lived in accordance with the Sermon on the Mount and the discipleship of Christ. I think it is time to gather people together to do this. After Jesus' baptism and temptation in the wilderness in Matthew 4, 17, it tells us that Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near you. The Sermon on the Mount that follows this is Jesus' exposition, his telling us what that kingdom life in the kingdom of heaven is like. So what is the kingdom of heaven like? I want to fast forward a little bit. Um, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, so the people hear Jesus give this sermon. He's talking to his disciples. There are crowds around the disciples who hear. And their reaction is this. In chapter 7, verse 28 and verse 29, their reaction is, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, 
For he was teaching, teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The one impression that Jesus leaves in giving the Sermon on the Mount is that he speaks with authority. And this is what I want to talk about today. It's about the authority to define reality, the authority to define happiness. Once again, if we do not build our idea of happiness around what Jesus defines for us or what the scripture teaches us, then our sense of blessedness, our sense of what is good in life can shift so easily. And according to Jesus in these Beatitudes, happiness isn't dependent on what one has or what one has achieved or what others think about you or them. True blessedness is being part of the kingdom of God. In other words, true blessedness is resting on what God has done for you through Christ Jesus. One of the best ways I like to illustrate this is ask yourself, complete this sentence. I am happy, I am most happy when what? If I were to take a survey, generally speaking, what is a, what are most people how do most people define their ultimate end of happiness? One of the things I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, shake your head if you disagree. Wouldn't you say that even in your wildest dreams, if you fantasize, any, any daydreamers here? Come on, I'm a daydreamer, I'm a dreamer. I love daydreaming. I just, I'm looking at Sam, we just got his hole-in-one. First hole-in-one yesterday, so kudos to him. I daydream about hitting a hole-in-one. I haven't had one yet. I've played much longer than he has. You know, I, I daydream about stuff. I daydream about it. But at the end of the day, do you know what my ultimate fantasy is, if I were to be honest? It is to be able to get what I want, when I want, how I want it, and when I want it, right? Isn't getting what you want, when you want it, however you want it, isn't that, for many people, the ultimate definition of happiness? Not with me. If you disagree, if you're, I'm going to keep talking if you guys don't. Yes? Would you say, would you be happy if you got everything you wanted? Raise your hand. Be honest. For many people, this is the ultimate goal to pursue, to do what I want to do, when I want to, and however I want to. That's why we work hard. Money, we believe, will bring us ability to eat what I want, when I want to, however much I want to, to travel and go where I want to, sleep when I want to. You know, some, one of the sweetest things in life is to sleep when you're sleepy. Some of you are trying to fight off sleep even as I'm talking now, right? When you're sleepy and you're feeling that drowsiness and you can just lay your head down and take a nap, isn't that sweet? That's vacation for me in a nutshell. It's to sleep when I want to sleep. To do what we want to do when we want to do it. That is our, in a way, our ultimate end, our ultimate goal, how we define true happiness. But can I tell you, that is absolutely not true.
Even in our limited, finite wisdom, we know from life experience, life experience that getting what you want isn't always necessarily what is best for us. If you are an addict, if you are a gambling addict, what is it that you want? You want to gamble more. So would giving the gambling addict money to gamble more be a good thing? If you're a kid, and we've all babysat a kid here and there or watched a kid, what do kids, children want? They, want? they want ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Is getting what they want ultimately going to make them happy? Do you really believe if you got what you wanted, you would be happy? I believe if I got what I wanted, I would be destroyed. What I really wanted, I would be destroyed. What I really need more than anything is for my desires to be reshaped. If you're a drug addict and you crave drugs, getting more drug is not ultimately a blessing. If you're a diabetic, eating that cake that looks so good that you want to eat is not a blessing. In fact, Romans 1, in Romans 1, Apostle Paul tells us that for those who did not want to know God, for those that repress God, God can be seen in nature, Paul tells us. The heavens declare that there is a God, there is a creator. But instead of acknowledging God, we repress God. We push down this revelation of who God is, and we pursue our own desires. And you know what Romans 1 tells us? It says that God gave us over to our desires. Giving us what we wanted was God's punishment for us. And the result is a, war, is a world marred by greed, avarice, violence, and abuse. Blessedness isn't getting what we want. True blessedness is being hungry for the right things and being satisfied. Do you hear me? Blessedness is not getting what you want. True blessedness, the beatitude tells us, is hungering for the right things and being satisfied. Look with me to the, the, one of the beatitudes. If we can put up the beatitudes again. Look at one of the beatitudes is in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, right? Now, uh, this is the second one up there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's, let's take out the middle part. and It says, blessed are those who are satisfied, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst and are satisfied. What if you hunger and thirst for, greed, or for power? What if you hunger and thirst for domination? What if you hunger and thirst to lord it over people? Will you be satisfied if you get those? It's only if you hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. Then being satisfied is a blessing. So as we journey on the Sermon on the Mount for these next few weeks, I want to unpack to you what 
life in the kingdom is like. Morality, living by moral laws, trying to be a good person isn't a path to happiness either. It's really understanding and letting God reshape our heart's desires. That's a true blessed. That's the, that's the true foundation which we can build our life. And we can find a sense of blessing that will not shift with the sands of time, will not ebb and flow, but instead fast. And I wish we could go more into these blessings individually, but I just want you to know this. The life that God wants for us, the first foremost thing in the kingdom life that God wants for us is he wants to define what a happy life is for you. Will you let him? Will you fight God to define your own happiness? Or will you let God define what a true happy life is? Because if you surrender that, like we sang today, if we surrender that power to define what happiness is, then I believe God will be a rock for us. God will give us a sense of a blessed life that rather you're poor, rather you're meek, rather you're in the worst of situations, whatever context you find yourself in, you know that you are still blessed. Amen? That's what I hope for you. I hope for you to, to surrender this act of defining happiness. And rather than define it by getting what we want, let God define it for you through his word and the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray. Father God, many of us that are sitting here, myself included, it's hard to define happiness in different ways other than just getting what we want. Lord, it's so easy to slide into that desire to define our own happiness. But we pray, God, by your spirit, that we will look at the Beatitudes and look at the blessed life that you describe and help us to see a life that is unshakable, that, no, that come what may will stand firm in your blessings. Help us to pursue that life. In Christ's name we pray, amen.